0: to be with you guys today let me share something with you it's kind of fun before we begin of course i've never been to a place where they had nicknames for all the counselors i've never seen that before that's just funny calling people ecuadorable instead of whatever their name happens to be but i thought about this and i shared this with one of the guys that were playing the drums what was the drummer's nickname Rocket. rocket so i shared this with rocket point is that one day we're all going to have a name change too do you remember a song you used to sing in an old baptist churches years ago it says there's a new name written down in the Lord remember that song I used to not know what that was talking about but the Bible says and you can teach this to your kids it's pretty cool you can I'm a little bit a little bit hot on the sound can y'all tell me down just a little can you cut me back a little bit a little bit of echo for me that's better great it says in Revelation 2:17, listen to this verse. He's talking to the church at Pergamum, and here's what he's saying about the future. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now, that's weird. In heaven, you're going to receive a white stone, and there's going to be a new name written on it. And when you see that name, you'll know that's the name God knows you as. And it may not be your name from earth. It may be And scholars all over the map about what that means, you can imagine what they might think. But the best interpretation I like was during the Roman culture, when they would win a a prize or run a race or something, they would receive a white stone with their name written on it. They would receive that. Today we get little trophies and things like that. They would receive that white stone, and they'd probably keep that white stone. It was a show, a, a show that they conquered, whatever that was. And maybe we'll get that white stone because now we'll have been forever able to be conquerors with Jesus Christ forever in heaven. And maybe that's why we get it. I don't know. But you can tell your kids that, that one day you're going to get a white stone. Then your name will be revealed, the real name before God. And so when I saw that, I thought, that's pretty cool has nothing to do with what I'm about to tell you today, but I thought that was neat. Okay, here we go. We're in session number five, and so let's open our workbooks to session five. Detour, and today it will be about Joseph and his heart. Man, this this is a powerful, I I like all the sessions, I love them. This one is just something special about this talk and this truth from God's Word today. So I hope you'll follow along and you'll enjoy it. Get out your pen, fill out your notebook. You'll have to write kind of fast. I'm going to go a little bit quick today to get us right back on time where we need to be. I going to start out talking about Nelson, Nelson Mandela. He spent about 30 years in prison in South Africa doing hard labor, plenty of time to think about all the injustices that it, his people had suffered in South Africa with apartheid and all the trouble that he'd had. And when he was finally released from prison, he was elected president of the country. So it reminds me kind of a Joseph story. Here's a man, falsely accused, just wanted freedom for his people, thrown into prison, and now he's out. Now he's in charge, large and in charge. So what do you think is going to happen in South Africa to the people that put him in prison, that were against him, that were his enemies, what's he going to do to them? That's the big question. And here's what he did with them. He offered them mercy. He offered him his forgiveness. He forgave them. He offered him grace, not revenge, not punishment for what happened to him. And like Joseph, he was a rare exception that when your adversity turns to prosperity, now what do you do? And so he did that. Now, I'll tell you that story to tell you this story. Have you been disappointed by things that have happened in your life? Everybody has to some degree. Some of the disappointments are so great, things are so painful that when you even think about them, you try to push them out of your brain and not think about that thought. I'm not going to think about the way I was treated, that abuse, that abandonment by my father, that situation that was just so painful to me that I went through. Well, I hope this session will help you process that stuff, and I want to bless you and help you to better figure out why had there been so many zigs and zags in your life, And so many detours and some ups and some downs. And why does it look like that in your life? This session will help you process that hopefully a little bit better. Okay, here we go. Here's the dilemma as we've kind of done the story so far. Kind of a recap. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. Sold into slavery by the Midianites. Falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Unjustly imprisoned by Potiphar. And forgotten by the chief cupbearer. That's what's gone on so far. Now, for many people, if one of those things happened to you, just one of them, that could throw you into turmoil. But for him, <laughs> it was all that stuff. That's enough stuff to make you bitter. That's enough stuff to make you even bitter against God. Because I, I've heard a lot of good and godly people almost look up at God's, in, in God's face and say, God, where are you? Next time you're passing out catastrophes, please pass me by. I mean, come on. And that's the way we often think. But even in the middle of all this stuff, Joseph continues his deep devotion and trust in God. No matter what life throws at him. Now, we don't know exactly all of his thoughts and how he processed a lot of stuff. But for what's recorded to us about the story, there seems to almost be no fault in his life except when he was early and a little bit proud and arrogant, perhaps, taunting the brothers. That's amazing to me. And Joseph is now the one with all the power and all the control. And this is what's going on. So now at last, Joseph is the one. He's got the control. And now the question is, how will he react? How's he going to react? He's, in the top, he's the top dog now. He was in the bottom of the barrel of the beast and now he's out. Well, what's he going to do? How's he really going to respond his heart has been deeply wounded over and over and over. And when your heart is continually wounded and arrows penetrate it and the bullets come and they knock you back and kick you down and drop you into the dust and all this is going on in your life, how are you going to respond? It's not easy to respond in a correct way. And what's even going on? So what condition is it is it in now his heart? This is the life of Joseph. This is interesting, isn't it? The dream was revealed to him because he was loved by his father, but the downside was what? He hated by his brothers. And then he was approved in Egypt by Potiphar. Then he was accused by Potiphar's wife, so he's down again. Then he's approved. What does that arrow say? Oh, yeah, by the warden. He was approved by the warden in the prison. He begins to work with him, but he's forgotten by the cupbearer. And now he's approved by Pharaoh. So did you see that Joseph came from the dream revealed to the dream fulfilled, not on that dotted line, but on the up and the down and the up and the down and the zig and the zag and the up and the down. And when we go and get in our seat, I mean, I like all the little things they say every time. So I'm trying to incorporate some of that stuff. Yeah, get off your feet and get in your seat. I just think these things are, I'm going to start this in my church. Without every time I'm preaching and get people say stuff back and forth. But that's quite a life. I mean, that's incredible. But did he end up where God wanted him to be? Your promised land becomes visible as you begin to walk toward it. But only as you walk. No matter what the circumstances are and the minefields that are there that sometimes you avoid, sometimes you hit. And that's what's happening in this story. Why would God allow these detours? Read this with me out loud. Here's what we've been telling you from the beginning. Ready? Because God cares more about the development of the dreamer than the fulfillment of the dream. Yeah. So he has that character that's been fulfilled in his heart. So let's look now at the story today. Okay. The famine now comes into the land. The Bible says, And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? That seems to be, what are we going to (laughs) eat? Nothing in the fridge. (laughs) Nothing here in the pantry. Ooh, I almost hit my Bible. Nothing in the pantry. Nothing in the field. All the animals are dying. We don't know. We're down to our very last sheep. That's a line from Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. We are down to our very last sheep. And they just stand there and do this. I don't know what we're going to do. What are we going to do? And then somebody raised their hand. I have heard that there is, whoop, I have heard that there, whoop, where did I go? I've heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was a famine in the land of Canaan. Now, why do you think he didn't send Benjamin? You remember that he was in love with a woman named Rachel, but remember his father, I mean, Laban tricked him and gave him first the woman named Leah. Okay, Rachel's, one of Rachel's uh, sons was Benjamin. So that was the son of the wife that he loved the most. And the other son was Joseph (laughs) from Rachel. And so, he, know, he thinks he's dead. So, he's probably thinking, I'm not going to let my other, you know, part of this person, my heart for this woman, and this is the love, real love of my life. I'm not going to let him die as well. And so, that's probably why not. So, the va- famine was severe all over the world, including Canaan. And Jacob heard there was grain to buy in Egypt, sent his sons there. Jacob sent 10 sons, but insisted that Benjamin stay home. And that's kind of what's going on. Now, it's been at least 20 years in this story. Rachel has died. She's no longer alive, but this man still has a, such an affection for her and for the two sons that she bore to him that he wants to keep that guy home just so nothing will happen. I'm not going to put him in harm's way, basically. Okay, here we go. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So, when Joseph's brothers arrived, I love this story. Oh, man. They bowed down to him. Oh, my goodness. They're doing what they got so mad at him about when he was a kid, 17 years old. They're fulfilling this prophetic dream not even knowing they are. They bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. They're going to bow down to him three times. Even though there were two times in visions, they're going to bow three times to him in the story. Pretty amazing. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. Why did they not recognize him? Well, they hadn't seen him in all these years. They thought by now he's dead. He's bronzed and tan. He's sitting there with those, one of those things hanging off his neck. He's got a, that Egyptian thing on. He's sitting there with his hands. There are people with fans doing this to him. You know, what I mean? That's just what my mind thinks. That's just the way I read a Bible story. And these guys kind of scramble in all scared and not knowing what's happening. And they're before the Pharaoh's number two. And they probably never even looked him in the eye, really. They just kind of fell on the floor and begged him for grain. And he pretended, he recognized them, but pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to him. I love, what do you think the tone was when he asked that question? Uh, where do you come from? Do you think that's what he said? How do you think he stated it? I think he shouted at him. What's that thing we did this morning? Yellow yoga or something? What? Yellow yoga, yeah. I think he went, where do you come from? I imagine they just were scared spitless. That's the Texas expression. It means you're really scared. He asked, Uh, from the land land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, no, no. We're just here to buy some food. We're not spies. We are the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men. <laughs> These guys would have received the Academy Award now. The envelope, please, Best Supporting Actress and Actors in a Biblical Melodrama. We'd like to give it to the Brothers of Joseph for yeah, their lie. Yeah, you were a great actor there. They were lying through their teeth when they said this. Honest. I bet that wasn't a good thing for Joseph's ears to hear. We're honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you've come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man. They're just pouring out their heart. And they live in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. And that's Joseph. Hello, I'm no more. (laughs) I might have said that at that point, but he did not. So write this down. When they arrived in Egypt, they bowed, fulfilling the dream. Joseph recognized his brothers right away, but pretended to be a stranger. He spoke harshly of them, accused them of being a spy. And the brothers tried to convince them they were honest. Now, half of this is true. They were not spies, but they weren't honest guys at all. Now, Joseph begins a long process. The brothers tell their story, and they probably had believed their lie by now. And if you're really telling a lie from the truth, he says, just go home and bring me back Benjamin. You say you left one at home, go back and bring him back. And so we're going to call that this test that they give him. So Joseph tested their character by keeping one of the brothers in prison while the rest returned to Canaan to deliver food. If you want to get him back, then you go tell me the truth and bring that guy you say is at home. Bring him here, and then I'll let this guy out. So he's like a hostage. The brothers believed they were being punished by God because of how they had treated Joseph. They begin to get very convicted of what they knew they had done years and years ago. It's almost like now we're getting what's rightfully coming, should come to us. So that's what's going on in the story. And Reuben said they were guilty and would have to give an account for Joseph's blood. And the brothers did not realize Joseph understood their whole conversation because he used an interpreter. And Joseph turned away from them and began to weep. So that's what's happening in the story. That's what's going on right now in this particular situation. And it it's so sad of what's happening, what happening here. These guys felt such guilt. And they just felt such guilt about this situation. And here's what's interesting, that guilt and shame can overwhelm you. Dr. Bernay Brown wrote a book about this and did a TED Talk on this. If you've ever seen TED Talks, they're about technology, education, and design. Short talks that are given around the world. And they're, they have like the top 10 TED Talks of all time. Dr. Bernay Brown's is usually at the very top of the list of the top 10. And you should look up that little video sometime and see her, her talk on this subject of guilt and shame. And here's what she says in the subject, in, in, the, in the video. Here's what she says. She says, uh, guilt is something that I did wrong. Shame is I am wrong. Do you see the difference in that? Guilt is I told the lie. Shame is I'm a pathetic liar, and all I do is lie, 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 lie all the time. And nobody trusts me, and nobody will believe me because that. And it's the shame that I am wrong. And these brothers probably in spades experience guilt and shame about what they had done to him. It's very, very bad, and it's awful. And let me tell you something that you might want to do. I, if you've struggled with guilt before God or if you've struggled before, with shame before God, I would encourage you to listen to a song written by my son. My son's name is Aaron Keyes, A-A-R-O-N Keys. You can find him on Spotify. You can find him on iTunes. You can find it on YouTube. You can listen to my son Aaron sing a song called, You're Not Guilty Anymore. It's a song of how God really believes about you when you think you're guilty. And what he did to forgive you and cleanse you and wipe you and see you as clean before him. Sometimes at live events, I might actually play that song and everybody bow their head. Often when I do, people cry sitting in the crowd because they felt so much guilt and shame. But they realize when God looks at you, he's forgiven you. And he loves you. And he takes your sin and puts it in the depths of the deepest sea and separates it as far as the east from the west and forgives you. Often, though, you don't forgive yourself. That's why you still feel the way you feel. You haven't forgiven yourself. Even though God has, you haven't believed it. You're still believing and hanging on to a lie. And so that's something you might want to do. You might want to do it sometime while you're here. I don't know. And now we get into chapter 42 through 47. It gets a lot of detail. Joseph is testing their character. And is he also giving himself time to decide what to do? Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe he's thinking about this. Is there any change in my brothers? It's fascinating about their whole involved now in protecting Benjamin. Why, Why are they all concerned about him and they never were concerned about protecting Joseph. Maybe they had started to change somewhat over time. Time can often heal a variety of wounds in your life after amount of time goes by. And the amount of time had gone by, a great amount of time. So it looks like kind of a hint of remorse maybe he sees in, in their lives here. Don't know for sure. But now let's talk about the reunions, what's going on here. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house and they bowed down before him to the ground. Again. <laughs> then he asked him how they were. And uh, then he said, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. Again. And he's, he looked around and saw his brother Benjamin. Now they got Benjamin with them. His own mother's son. He asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother. Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and he wept there. We don't know how long he was there. He couldn't take it anymore. He was so overcome with emotion with seeing his baby brother and realizing his father's still alive. In those two things of news, he he couldn't contain it. So he runs off stage. he He gets back in the back part and he just weeps and cries. After he cries for a while, they're probably thinking, what is he doing back there? Is he making plans to, you know, Kill us all? I I don't know. And then after finally controlling himself, then he said, serve the food. So they had a meal that was out. So write this down in the book. When the brothers returned to Egypt, they bowed down two more times. And Joseph was so deeply moved, he went to weep in private. Nearly all of us in this room have been greatly mistreated by someone or many people who've mistreated you somewhere in your life. Just what I'd like you to do right now. I'd like you just to close your eyes a minute. You can kind of bow your head just a little bit and just sit quietly for just a second. Nobody looking around. And I'm going to say some things to you. I want you to think about it and process it, okay? I want you to think about the person in your life who has hurt you the most. A mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a boss, a friend. You might say, I've got three or four people in my mind. That's okay. That's okay. What would it take for you to offer forgiveness and reconciliation with them? The longer you hold on to bitterness, the more it hurts you. It's like the old saying that says holding on to your anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. So just think for a moment and process it and ask forgiveness for that person that hurt you the most. I'll pray for you. Father, you're a comforter. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. Right now, I pray the Holy Spirit would give comfort to everyone who's wrestling with this issue. Wrap your arms of love around each person as they confess to you and pray to you and ask you for forgiveness for the person that hurt them the most. I pray that you would help them to realize that now they're free from prison. They don't have to be angry anymore. They don't have to be in control anymore. They don't have to worry about this anymore because they've done serious business with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I hope you thought about that a little bit during that exercise time. Because if you leave here having done that, could open up a whole new world for you when you drive off of this campus in a couple days. You can be, have a feeling of freedom that you haven't experienced before. Guilt can be gone. Shame can be removed. And now you can just breathe in new air of mercy and grace for you. All right, Genesis 45 says... Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to the brothers, and when he wept so loudly, the Egyptians heard him. So in that contained room, him and all the brothers there, he said to them those words they thought they would never hear again. I am Joseph. Now, you talk about good news, bad news, in how you hear something? What was the good news? That's our brother. Somehow he's now second in command of all of Egypt. What's the bad news? What we did to him, old man. Hey, Joe. Didn't mean it really, man. So sorry. You know, we were young and foolish. What were they making? Excuses and stuff. Back- backpedaling, thinking he's going to just put the hammer down right now. That's what they expected, but that ain't what happened. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him. They were terrified at his presence. <laughs> then he said to my brothers, come, come here, come here. Group hug, okay, group hug, come on. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives and God sent me ahead of you. We played a role in God's plan? Yeah, you did. As awful as that sounds, I'm here now. He says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. That's my favorite verse in the Old Testament. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Good. Trouble has happened to me, but God has a plan. He's going to take what's bad, and he's going to make all things work together for his good and for his glory to those that love me. And so that's what's going on in this story. And to me, that's a fascinating thing. Joseph finally revealed his true identity, wept loudly, asked about his father. He's alive. The brothers were terrified because of guilt. Joseph told them, don't be distressed. It was God who sent him here for the saving of many lives. In other words, he knew that he was going to play a role as a patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And then down the line would come all of the prophets and the kings, and through that line of Judah, that son Judah that he had from the line of that tribe, the line of Judah would come, and that line of Judah would be Jesus. And so he, Satan was trying to snuff out the Jewish race from happening and working overtime, in the, probably in the situation, but yet... Yeah, Joseph sent his brothers back, said, go bring father back with me. And he kissed all of his brothers and he wept over them. So they went out, out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. Now, that's probably an understated word. If he was an old man, he probably fell over backward in his chair. What? Oh, He couldn't believe this. My son that I thought was dead is alive. But when they told him everything, Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent back to to carry him back, the spirit of their father of Jacob revived. And he said, ah, yeah, we got a little uh, entourage outside there Just going to take you back to Egypt. He went outside, golden chariots there, horses, servants. Uh, Sit in the the middle of this Bentley here. We're going to take you back in a Bentley. You're going to love it, Scott. TV, stereo, leather seats. You just sit back and relax. Back to Egypt, you're coming with us. And then he believed it. And then Israel said, that's the name of Jacob. God changed his name to Israel. I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And that's an amazing thing that he's going to get to go see him now. So the brothers returned to Canaan, told their father, is that the right one? There we go, this one, Genesis 46. Am I in the right place? Yeah, this is right, okay. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him, to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. And when they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him and threw his arms around his father, and they wept for a long time. Israel, that's Jacob, said to Joseph, now I am ready to die since I have seen for myself you are still alive. There's just something about a family reunion that's amazing. So here's this aged father all the brothers, and Joseph now in reunion. He says, bring all of my family here. We'll take care of you. We'll feed you. You'll be treated like royalty for the rest of your life. And that's what was going on in the story. Do any of your families ever get together and have family reunions? Let me see your hands if you've been a part of one. Okay. Some of you have. Ours occasionally has. We saw a whole group in the airport when we were coming here with shirts on that matched fluorescent green shirts with their names on the shirts. And, then they were all going to the islands, I think, to have some deal. A whole oh, about 20 or 30 people And it's just something about when you get together with all the cousins and the aunts and the uncles and the brothers and the crazy uncle and all these people. When you finally are together with all this family, you feel a part of something that you don't feel of just by yourself, isolated and alone in the place where you live. There's something that just wells up within you. And that's what's going on in this story, which is fascinating. When the family arrived in Egypt, Joseph hugged his father and wept. And Joseph said, I can die in peace now since he knew Joseph was alive. What did Joseph do? He settled his father and his brothers in Egypt, and he gave them property in the best part of the land, real estate, location, location, location. The district of Ramses, as Pharaoh directed, and Joseph provided his father and brothers, all his father's household with food, according to the number of their children. Joseph settled his family in the best part, the richest part, and he made the right choice, but the Bible makes it clear That his decision was to forgive was a deep struggle a few minutes ago maybe when you were thinking about forgiving that person you haven't really done it yet maybe it's still a struggle to you that's okay that's all right if you'll keep processing that and working through it 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 can be a struggle that takes a long time to do but eventually you need to do that even though you might not want to work through it in five minutes you may want to work through it in more time but it needs to be done But that was a deep, deep struggle for Joseph to make that kind of decision, um, to be able to forgive. So that word forgive is probably we simply don't understand the full notion of the word forgive. Am I really going to forgive these guys and offer them forgiveness? I mean, they hurt me bad. Can I really do that in my heart? Can I really be sincere about doing that? And the brothers have to learn to do what? Receive forgiveness. They don't think they're worthy of that. And they had to believe it was true and honest coming from him, and it wasn't a trick. God said he forgives us when we ask, but do we really believe it as truth, or do we act as if like nothing really happened at all? God says, I forgive. I will make all things new and all things beautiful in your life. Do we, we have to receive that and believe it. And here's what's it's true. What you think about and believe then can cause you to repent. What the word repent means is to turn around and go in a different direction. I don't go in any direction until I first think about it. So I'm going in a wrong direction. My mind is changed. I've forgiven now. I've been in a prison and I've been a, bound now for a long time and it's, I'm here. But when I think correctly that I need to forgive and I do forgive from the sincerity of my heart, well, then the prison door is open. Now I'm free. Now I can change the way I think, which changes the way I behave, and now I can walk in a new direction. It starts in your mind, and then your flesh reacts according to what your mind thinks you should do. One time I heard a statement. It's one of those things I kind of always remembered, and I think about this statement often, and here's the way it says. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. So it's not that I have to do, do, do a bunch of things to earn God's approval. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more than he loves you. Does he love good works and good actions and when you act like you should? Absolutely. But you don't do that to get brownie points with God. I used to think there was a kind of a checklist that God had. He walked around with a clipboard and he was kind of looking down over the heavens saying, okay, Steve did that. we will give him a check. Let's give him a, yes, good mark there. Good. Oh, look what he did there. We're going to give him a bad mark. Eh. And he was kind of judging me all the time. I grew up kind of thinking that's the way God looked at me. We would try to dress right and act right and look right. Wow, to kind of please God more. Nothing you can do to make God love you more. He loves you because you're his child. All those little kids running around here. You love them because they're your kids. Not because of what they do or don't do. Those little twin boys are amazing that are running around here. The little twin boys are, are, can't be any older than three, I wouldn't think. But they're running around. One was on a scooter last night leaving dinner. He pushed it about four steps and then fell right on the concrete. He gets up and kind of, he gets right back up on it. Man, he goes again. Ten more feet, he falls again. He gets back up the other knee this time. He gets We were just watching him do that. He goes at it again. He falls. He fell four times. Kept on going. We saw him in here this morning. He's a guy with his thumb in his mouth and his hand in his pants. <laughs> he, was, he was standing right there. He just wandered around oblivious to everything happening here. Just. You don't love those kids because of what they do or don't do. You love them because they're your kids. And you're a child of the Most High God. You're the son and the daughter of God. Nothing you can do to make you love you more. On the other side, it's harder for us. Nothing you can do to make him love you less. Because we tend to think, oh, he couldn't love me because of I did. You fill in the blank. How could he love me because I thought blank? I did blank. I acted blank. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Your kids can be a disaster, a prodigal. They can be running from God. Do you love them less? No. You love them because they're your kid. Do you want to see them repent? Yes, you keep praying. You keep on loving them. You just love them and love them and love them and love them till the last breath you breathe, if that's necessary. So here's the response for today. Joseph had the ultimate opportunity for revenge, but he chose reconciliation. Why do you think he made that choice? We've all been mistreated. Who's the person that hurt you the most? I've already talked to you about that about it but the Bible makes it clear he had raw emotions in here and he was struggling with how he had to process why do you think we often refuse to acknowledge or deal with our emotions God made you an emotional person it's okay to weep it's okay to feel different things because that's the way God made you so I hope this session was helpful for you today hope it was good to you and help you even though it's hard I know it's hard I hope that you will forgive and keep a spirit of forgiveness with your hurts. Remember shame and guilt. Guilt is what you do wrong. Shame is I am wrong. You're neither if you're under the blood of Christ who cleanses you from all sin and unrighteousness. He washes you like being in a shower of his mercy and his grace. So it's about time now. We're right on the money, about 11 o'clock. We're going to give you a coffee break for about 15 minutes. I'll pray for you in a second. And then come back, and I'm going to share with you just some personal information about our family, some of the things we do in our work, and then have your time. If you have any questions, you can ask me questions. And uh, then I'll show you some contact information that you can write down if you want to get in touch with us. I'd like to be Facebook friends with every one of you. i take anybody. <laughs> and so if you'd like to have me as a Facebook friend, love to get and stay in contact with me, you can do so. We'll send you our emails. We'll give you our phone numbers. If you ever need us, you can call us. You can text us. You can write to us. And we'll try to help you any way we can. Uh, the longer here we're together with you, we kind of like most of you <laughs> that we've met. Really. We've enjoyed you guys. It's been fun to be here. So let's pray. And so extend your hands. and I'm going to pray a blessing over you. Father, for every hand that's open, I pray that we would not hold bitterness with a closed fist. We would not hold unforgiveness with a closed fist, but our hands would be open to freely forgive because truthfully, (laughs) you forgave us when we weren't even worthy to be forgiven. (laughs) You loved us when we were unlovely. None of us deserve the mercy and grace that we've received but you've given to us. But may we give freely what you've given to us through the hands we have and the lives we live. In the name of Jesus, amen.